Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and with me today in studio, I have two very impressive women on a topic that I know very little about, and so I'm excited to learn more. With me today in studio is Professor Barbara Ryan and Elaine McGowan. They are the gut experts. Do you know much about your gut? Well, you're about to learn. Um, They're also the authors of a book which we will get to called What Every Woman Needs to Know About Her Gut, uh, which is a go-to guide for women who are living with bloating, IBS, other digestive problems and who want a step-by-step guide to solving those problems. Um, Professor Barbara Ryan is a consultant gastroenterologist at Talley University Hospital and Hermitage Clinic. Both of those are in Dublin and she's also the professor of gastroenterology at Trinity College Dublin. Elaine McGowan is one of Ireland's leading private healthcare dietitians and nutritionists, and she is primarily based in Hermitage. Welcome, both of you. Thank you very much, Thank you Stephanie. You're very, very welcome. Lovely to be here. So, I don't know which one of you wants to start, but you, do you I want might, to? Yeah, okay. depends what the question is, Stephanie. Well, the question <laughs> is, what? Like, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about gut health that seems to just have proliferated in the last couple of years, or at least it's only reached me in the last couple of mm. years. And... I have to say there are a lot of people on Instagram who claim to be gut experts who just seem to not have any qualifications but just Mm. eat a lot of vegetables and claim the benefits of eating such vegetables. And it can be difficult to, I guess, separate the kind of quackery from the science. But Mm. I know that there is a lot of evolving science about how our gut health, our gut microbiome kind of impacts our whole life. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you've actually hit the nail on the head. And that was the reason why Elaine and myself got together to kind of as the gut experts. I mean, we've both been working separately for many years. It's because we're concerned by the kind of proliferation of exactly that. A lot of information coming maybe from non-experts. So just to kind of answer your the first part of your question, what is gut health? Well, I mean, I think the very simplistic view that we're that everybody hears is gut health equals having healthy gut bacteria. Mm-hmm. And that's part of it. But also gut health means having no significant digestive symptoms. I mean, you could have the healthiest bacteria in the world, but if your tummy's constantly bloated and a terrible source of pain and you've bad IBS, you're not exactly enjoying good gut health. But is it possible to have 
really good gut bacteria and still be having those problems. Absolutely. Because okay. you, absolutely. Because, and that's part of the over overly simplistic messaging is exactly as you're saying, people are being told all you have to do is eat, you know, 30 plant-based foods per week, uh, different plant, loads of plant-based foods and you're going to be perfect. That's absolutely not the case. You can have far too much of a good thing and too much fibre and too much plant-based foods can cause people very significant bloating, cramps, excessive wind, diarrhoea, etc. Mm-hmm. So, It's very simplistic to say that good gut health equals good bacteria. Good gut bacteria is certainly important and have many, many benefits have been shown or it's associated with many things like reduced risk of diabetes, reduced risk of heart disease. Um, Pretty much every disease state that you can, um, that you've, that you know of, that we know of has been associated with changes in gut bacteria. And at the moment, while there's certainly some evidence that it's partly related to some of these disease processes, it might also be a secondary thing. So um, so we think that good gut health is, yes, eating a healthy, balanced diet, enjoying good, healthy, diverse gut bacteria, but also not having any symptoms. Um, so that's kind of where that's our take on things. So I guess if people are listening and is it really the first sign that like something might be up is if you, is if you do have sort of bloating, digestive problems like... Yeah. Irregular bowel movements, I don't know. What. Yeah, exactly. So there are lots of different uh, digestive problems that can affect people. It can affect anywhere from their mouth to their back passage. So for some people, gut symptoms might be cramps in their tummy, bloating, change in their bowel pattern. And they're very common in a condition called IBS, which mm-hmm. affects one in 10 adults and in fact, one in six women. So it's much more, three, almost three times more common in women than men. Is there a reason um, for that or... Hormones? Where can we start? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. hormones and absolutely plays a part in that. So very much so. So some people get those symptoms. Other people can get symptoms like indigestion, heartburn, upper abdominal bloating, feeling, you know, feeling nauseated. There are many, many different symptoms that people can get. But absolutely, and our message to people is if you are noticing any change in any part of your digestive um, you know, system or any digestive symptoms, Make an appointment to see your GP as the first port of call. Don't go down to doc. Don't, don't go down a rabbit hole on Doctor Google mm-hmm. because it'll always be the worst case scenario. And most of these conditions, most of these symptoms, are caused by you know very benign, harmless, non-life threatening conditions. Whereas if you just look up Google, you know, uh, abdominal pain, and you you'll have it's given yourself some, exactly, something. exactly. Um, is there? So I've heard. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts that deal with uh, science and I've heard um, I'm not great at recalling them all but that so say with babies that basically you get your gut bacteria mm-hmm. through vaginal delivery mm-hmm. from, from from your mother and so your gut bacteria can be um, or your microbiome can be impacted if you have a cesarean section yes. or these sorts of things. How possible is it to change or impact your own gut it's bacteria or are you just I kind of given it? No, it is very possible to change it. And just just to get to what you're saying there about babies being born, absolutely, babies born via vaginal delivery, their gut tends to be colonised with bacteria from the mum's digestive system. Um, and babies born by C-section in the first weeks of life will have more colonisation by bacteria from the environment and from the hospital environment. But that does change very quickly. That's okay. not it for life. And babies who are breastfed, for example, so if you're born by C-section and then you breastfeed your baby, well, that baby will have the same bacteria more or less within a within a month as a baby born by a normal vaginal bacteria mm-hmm. by, by vaginal delivery. delivery. So, um, you know, I think these are not they're not a, a fait accompli. How how first of all how a baby's born. 
similarly, you know, breastfeeding babies, breastfed babies will have different bacteria to babies maybe that are bottle fed and not every woman is able to breastfeed. And I think we, we you know, we shouldn't demonize beat ourselves that, up yeah. and demonize, you know, for many reasons, it's not always possible. Um, and then once a baby starts to eat normal, you know, toddler starts to wean and to eat adult foods, the bacteria will change again. So a, a toddler by the age of two and a half will have a more adult like bacteria. And the best way you can change your gut bacteria is through your diet. And Elaine might have more to say on that. But, you know, we're told we're given a lot of messaging about probiotics, prebiotics. But really, the best way to feed our good gut bacteria is through vegetables, fruits, plant based foods, whole meals, etc. But it doesn't mean you have to eat exclusively those. It doesn't mean you just have to be on a vegan diet of good gut bacteria. In mm-hmm. fact, a bit of everything is, is a very, you know, and obviously not too much processed foods and takeaways, etc. They're, they're, they cause proliferation of some of the less good bacteria bacteria in our gut. So I think, um, you know, this is an evolving science, but your bacteria are not static yes. and they do change and you can influence, you can them, influence them. Both absolutely. good and bad. Yeah. And is there um, research on outside of just sort of the digestive discomfort that may come that like there are other health impacts from from the gut bacteria. I'm thinking of this supplement from a cork company. They say that the that by taking this prebiotic or probiotic, not probiotic, sure which, yeah. that uh, you can impact your like your, your gut yeah, and health your mental is, health is impacting your mental health. Yeah, and I think they're they. I mean, the the it's the APC in Cork is doing some fantastic work on probiotics and looking at the many different effects and the effects on mental health and and certainly some of the strains they've looked at of it. It's a particular bifidobacteria has been shown to have an Im, a positive impact on mood as well. I think the thing that we need to remember is probiotics are a bit like it's a bit like sweets. Not all probiotics are the same, mm-hmm. and you know. The studies that look at connections between probiotics and mental health are looking at very specific strains. So if you go into your to, to, to the chemist or the shop and you just for, ask for a probiotic, that is not necessarily going to affect your mental health. Yes, and um, they're very there are many different ones and they're they're many you know they've many different actions, and some studies will show a benefit and some may not. So it is still really an evolving science. Um, but I think if you're going to take a pri- probiotic, it's really worthwhile doing your research to see, well, is there actually any evidence for this particular, what the bacteria that's in this particular product for the, the effect that I'm looking for? Because there may not be. But don't some of the probiotics say that they have like 12 million strains yeah, or something? No, no, none no. of them would have 12, <laughs> but they might have 12 million bacteria. Oh, okay, okay. But like if it's 12 million of the one bacteria and that's uh, never been shown to benefit your mental health or sleep or anything, well then that's not, there's and no also, point in taking them. can a probiotic, you know, sort of outdo a bad diet? Like can you be like, no, oh, no. not so in my, it I think. It would be complementary. Absolutely. And the other thing about probiotics is they really, the evidence would suggest that they don't really take root in our gut, um, that they are kind of passengers through. And while they certainly can exert fe- effects while you're taking them and interact with our own, the native gut bacteria, when you stop taking them, the gut bacteria will revert back to what it was, you know, what it was previously after, uh, you know, 10 to 12 weeks. So the best way to make sustained changes is to, by making positive, healthy steps to your, you know, with your diet. Which we'll come to. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask you as well about antibiotics mm. and um, mm. because antibiotics are not sort of selective. They'll just kind of yeah. kill all. All known germs. All yeah, known germs. Well, <laughs> not quite. We have problems with antibiotic resistance now. But yeah, no, they're very broad. A lot of them are very broad spectrum. So they do, do cause they changes. Our gut? They do. But again, it's like our body has an internal thermostat and our gut bacteria, if you don't make major changes to your diet, has a tendency to reset itself. And um, in most people, 
after a month or so again of, of taking an antibiotic, their bacteria will be heading back towards what it was previously. Okay, well, that's reassuring. Mm. So um, I'll come to you now, Elaine. Mm. Do you want to tell people, I guess, based on the book? Well, t- talk to us first about the book, where it came from and, and, and what, what, what's in it, who it's for. Yes, so the book really is for what every woman needs to know about her gut, as you've said. And it's a guide uh, to help people who've got uh, digestive complaints like bloating, some irritable bowel syndrome or other uncomfortable gut symptoms. And uh, as you know, Barbara and I work with a lot of patients every every day and we can't see everybody in our clinics. So what we decided to do was Barbara approached me actually just before uh, COVID hit and said, Elaine, would you like to come together and to share our knowledge from medicine and nutrition so that we could help? help more women and impact more women um, with the knowledge that we share with people every day. So, so that I was by delighted. having the knowledge themselves, then they don't might not co- need to come to see you. Well, I think everybody will need to, uh, who's any uncomfortable gut symptoms does need to go as a first port of call to their to GP. The GP. Okay, yeah. And certainly we would never suggest self-diagnosing. Okay, yeah, so yeah. any gut symptoms would need to be would require a consultation with your GP and then the GP might run some routine tests or may decide you to, to refer you to a specialist for more tests. But for example, if I know that any time I eat chickpeas, say, mm-hmm. this is true, chickpeas in any form, hummus, I, I'm yeah. like, Elaine can stomach. tell you the answer to why already why, why this happens. Whatever's going to happen, she knows the, the answer. You know, I'm like, yeah. well, I'm just not going to eat them because yeah. every time I feel so uncomfortable, I don't need to go to yeah. a GP about that. I can just cut out chickpeas, right? Or do like. Yes, but I think if you're getting persistent ongoing symptoms, we would always advise going to the GP because okay. yeah. it's very important. Even things like celiac disease, you know, they need to be checked. There's a large number of people in Ireland that have undiagnosed celiac disease. And the GP can do a simple test for that. Okay. So I wouldn't assume that it was always just the chickpeas. We'd always well, recommend. I think if it was always first. only with chickpeas, chickpeas. Yeah. that's fairly safe. But if we were finding, you know, five or six times a week or three mm-hmm. or four times a week when you ate a meal and it had different things in it that you were having uncomfortable bloating or cramps or wind or diarrhea or something, then that might be that would be worthwhile just mentioning. I'm not saying you need extensive investigation. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. But you know, and and we'll all have you know but many people identify one food that doesn't that's agree what I'm with saying. Like, do yeah. some people just have like yeah. so lots of people have just one food so certainly all of the peas beans and lentils they're a fantastic food they've lots of fibre protein but they're highly fermentable in the gut so for most people it's really about the amount, uh, the quantity that they eat mm-hmm. and actually tinned chickpeas can be tolerated sometimes in smaller quantities so you generally find the tinned beans when you rinse them out and drain them in water they can be tolerated in small amounts and often if you take them over successive days so you know the way some Sometimes you might make a chick a chickpea curry and you might have it Friday and Saturday Saturday. and potentially, you know, Sunday sometimes if you're batch cooking. So it's often not even the the first day you might be okay, but it could be the cumulative effect over other days. And that fermentation process where you've got some bloating or discomfort in the gut, it's actually healthy. It means that the bacteria in your gut are feasting on those beans. But the side effect of that is actually uh, producing extra gas. So for lots of people, they can eat these and they've got actually no gut symptoms at all. And it does help with um, increasing the diversity of the gut microbiome. But for those that suffer with gut problems, it's more about the quantity and maybe taking smaller amounts and finding what your triggers are and in what quantity you can tolerate them. And that's what we've actually done with the book. So, for example, with beans, we would give you specific guidance so you can find your tolerance for these main kind of trigger foods that cause uncomfortable gut symptoms. Because they're good, like you should be trying to eat them if you can. Yes, if you can. And I, I think, look, if it's one food, we're never going to 
to tell some. You should keep yes, trying okay, to eat. Yeah, be, yeah. But I mean, some people will find a lot of food triggers will 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 cause problems, yeah. and they'll then they end up with overly restrictive diets. So that's yeah. really where where and that's very common. Like IBS affects one in six people, one in six women, and as I said, one in ten adults overall. And what um, what does it take to diagnose IBS? It's not just like one no, food. No, so so to to be sort of the the, the sort of the diagnostic criteria will be that you should have symptoms on and off for six months, and you should have at least pain, crampy abdominal pain, uh, at least one day per week, um, and that pain is either eased by going to the bowel, going opening your bowels, or or some and some people can get transiently worse. So it's related to opening your bowels mm-hmm. in some way, and it's also um, people have either a change in their bowel pattern, so they might be going to the loo too much, or or become constipated and go too little, and some people can fluctuate between the two. And then the other symptom would be a, ch- a change in the appearance of bowel motion. So if you've ever seen a thing called the Bristol stool chart, yeah. um, you know, some people Google might. It, di- yeah. OK, well, and um, that's really helpful because some people might have very loose motions, which are type six or seven, and some people might have hard ones. So so IBS is, ba- is diagnosed on the basis of pain, change in bowel pattern or change in bowel appearance. But bloating is a really common symptom in it also. And that can also often be one of the, the most uncomfortable symptoms. So I suppose they're the people who who cutting out more and more foods is particularly problematic because they'll find that fruit does it and something else does it and onions does it and chickpeas does it and then what are they eating? So that's what we're really trying to give people a guide to safely look at their diet, try and remove triggers, but without becoming overly restrictive because we're really concerned about the the overly restrictive diets we're seeing people following. And a lot of it is being driven by information they're getting on the internet. Talk to us about those overly yeah. restrictive diets. <laughs> so basically what happens is that people try to self-diagnose and what they do is they start off by cutting out gluten or they cut out wheat-based foods. And we know that these are really important for bowel function. And again, it's it's very much about the quantity and then they'll go on to eliminate dairy from the diet and these things are really problematic because they start off taking them out of the diet for a month but then we can see sometimes that it can actually be 10 years so we're really concerned about women um, eliminating all of these food groups from the diet and in our book we show several case studies for this one is a lovely woman who got a non-validated IgG intolerance test and she eliminated the kind of commercial food intolerance test they're not scientific validated. And so she went along you get this great printout but it measures a thing in the blood called IgG and what that does is it actually just tells you whether you ate wheat or dairy in the last 72 hours and the IgG is raised but that actually means that you just consumed wheat or dairy in the last 72 hours. So that means everyone who has will be Yes, yes. if they consumed it in the last 72 hours. So if we came into a workplace and we measured it, anybody who'd consumed those foods in the last 72 hours would have raised levels. And on the basis of these which are not scientifically proved people are eliminating whole food groups in the diet. So in our book we've one lady who removed dairy from her diet in her 20s. She was a busy working working lady and then she went on and got married and had children one after the other. Three children breastfed them all and hadn't supplemented with calcium and had eliminated dairy in her mid-20s. And She had full-blown osteoporosis at the age of 38. So we really want people to know that it is very important that you don't actually eliminate all of these food groups yourself. Similarly with wheat, um, basically most people demonise certainly gluten and wheat and they they purchase basically gluten-free foods because they're lower in wheat. But what we actually know is that it's not the gluten 
in wheat-based foods that causes the problem with the stomach. It's actually fructans. And fructans are actually a carbohydrate or a sugar ch- a sugar chain. And we need wheat in our diet to help with our gut motility, for, to help with our bowel movements. We also need it because a certain amount of wheat in the diet is needed to maintain that healthy bacteria, the bifidobacteria and the gut diversity. And it's needed for overall gut health. But what we find, particularly me, because I'm over 30 years working in gut health and helping women find solutions um, to gut problems through through safe diet, effective measures. And um, what we actually find is that our consumption of wheat, particularly processed wheat, we all know that we're eating processed breads, lots of pastas, lots of pizzas. So our consumption has increased rather than people having a problem with uh, gluten or wheat-based foods. So it's very much about the amount that you tolerate. And we would be very much advocates for helping people navigate that space. And that's what we have in the book. So we have a unique point-based system whereby people can take a certain amount of points of the wheat-based foods and they find their tolerance level. And most people will tolerate two slices of bread or one loaf slice of soda bread in a Mm -hmm. day. But if you ate six slices of bread and a huge big bowl of pasta or a pizza, you're going to find that you're going to get some bloating or discomfort. And it's about giving you the control so you can find what your triggers are. And then if you decide to go out on a Friday night and eat a whole pizza and a whole load of beer, at least you know that it's that that's causing your symptoms. Do you know? And you have that feeling of like a food belly where you're naturally going to bloat and you're going to feel discomfort. But we really want to give people the tools so that on a daily basis, those that are suffering with gut problems can find more ease and comfort in their gut um, by navigating um, what their main dietary triggers are and what their threshold level is for those. Can I just, so, uh, just, just, just to follow up on what Elena said there, one in 100 Irish people has celiac disease. Has di- and so for people with celiac, it's absolutely vital that they do cut out wheat and gluten products. That's, what is, uh, yeah, so explain. celiac is an allergy, is a type of an allergic process to the gluten in wheat. And it's really important for their overall health that they do have a very strict gluten and wheat free diet. But for the majority of other people, like it's not absolutely necessary to eat wheat, but it is very helpful for all the reasons Elaine said. It do, it is one of those foods that does um, feed our gut bacteria. And a study in England a few years ago showed that in 2012, 12% of people, um, in particular in Sheffield, were following a were buying gluten free products and following a gluten free diet. So one percent of people has diagnosed celiac. So 12% of people. Um, were following a gluten-free diet. Mm-hmm. In 2015, 33% of people were following a gluten-free diet and buying gluten-free products because of all the, the stuff that's out trend. there that all gluten-free foods are bad. And they're not. They're not mm. bad for most people. What about countries where like they naturally wouldn't have like much wheat in their diet? I think yeah. like Asian countries are like people who... I, I guess I'm, 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 I'm getting to the point of like, you know, these people who decide I'm going to adopt a vegan diet or I'm going to be keto which yes. is mm. for me I just mm-hmm. think it's madness to cut out an entire food group but uh, nevertheless I think it's probably uh, more about weight loss yes. culture than yeah. anything else yeah. but what is the impact of those sort of like you're an Irish person who's deciding to you know only eat Asian food or something do we as races have different gut health or a different gut yeah. microbiome 
I mean, we different things suit us. geographically we do, but that's probably evolved from the fact that diff- in different areas of the world, different things pe- grow. We grow different things, and children are fed different things from an early age. So absolutely, the sort of you take a, a you know a group of a hundred people in Ireland and look at their microbiota, it's going to be very different different from people you know living in China. Yes. Um, but so our, our gut not because of us in, as not humans, because just of our because genetics. we eat different things. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, I mean, Elaine might have a chat talk to you about. I mean, we're we're very we we're we're not particular fans of of vegan diet um, for many many reasons. We do realize completely that many people do it for ethical for reasons, reasons yeah. environmental reasons. But if you're doing it from purely a health perspective, we do not think it is the healthiest mm. type of diet because it can lead you to many vitamin deficiencies, and also it's very high in fiber overly high in fibre for most people and can cause problems with bloating etc. For gut symptoms and also I think a lot of people need to educate themselves so if you're adopting any kind of significant dietary change it's really important to do your homework on it so for example like the the lady who'd eliminated calcium if you were following a vegan type of diet you have to eat a lot of food to get your calcium intake so for a normal lady in her 20s or 30s you have to eat 75 almonds um, two bowls of kale and 16 tablespoons of soya beans to get her daily calcium requirement and that's what people are not aware of or it could be it could be 75 almonds two bowls of kale and a glass of plant-based milk yeah the plant-based milks and are calcium supplemented milk, so that, that's what you yeah. could do yeah. so they're fortified but you just must remember that that's actually daily so it's important to do your homework and make sure that you are getting those essential vitamins the other one is for iron so it's really important for iron so that you'd actually need to take three bowls of kale two two heads of broccoli and 15 tablespoons of lentils to get the amount of daily iron that you need. So again, just navigating that space and, you know, they can easily use an app um, to do, put in their daily food intake just to see what vitamins and minerals they're making, you know, that they're achieving their daily requirement for. And if they're not, they would have to supplement with maybe iron or calcium or B12. Yeah, um, the B these, are, these are important ones. If you were going vegan, completely vegan um, and sometimes vegetarian, um, you may need other supplements depending on what dietary choices you make. And that's the most important thing for women because we all know that we can adopt a dietary change for a month and it ends up being two years or three years or four years. Or maybe and, a day uh, and yeah. you give up on it. That's the other one. <laughs> uh, so it's really about educating women, you know, to make those, those informed choices. And what we actually find in our clinics, like I would have thought I should have been redundant by now, right? I'm over 30 years working in, mm-hmm. in uh, as I say, gut health and helping women find solutions to difficult, uncomfortable symptoms. And I would have thought with the onset of all of the information out there that I wouldn't have a job now. But both Barbara and I are seeing a large cohort of patients coming in and they've tried several diets. They have they may come in with a bag of supplements that they've tried and they still have symptoms. They're still going to Barbara to be scoped and investigated. And often you find they're looking in the wrong direction. So we have a lovely lady in our book who had tried many things in her book and actually when she navigated the book on the point-based system for fructose for fruit sugar she realised that she was taking 70 like she was taking three times the amount of fructose or fruit sugar that she required right so when she reduced her amount of fructose by 75% she had 
no bloating, no wind or no uncomfortable gut symptoms. So she was just eating too much fruit. Just yeah. too much fruit. And she that. was actually, you know, it can actually cause build up, particularly over successive days and it can cause even quite explosive loose bowels. So she was a runner or a jogger and she was finding that she was having to sprint back to the house, you know, to get or to the bathroom true. quickly. And, you know, that was causing a lot of difficulties and it was affecting, while it's not life threatening, it was affecting her daily quality of life and she did not realise there was actually fruit. And she was in with me with several supplements. She'd been fully investigated mm. by Barbara there was nothing her gut was perfect and um, it was just that her her tolerance for fructose um, was not as high as she thought it was going to be and she had to navigate her own threshold for that and everyone would have their own threshold absolutely and that's one of the things in the in the in the, the little case study that was in the that's in the book she was living with her boyfriend and and he was well he had no problems he was eating the exact same, same diet, diet as her eating you know the same amount of fructose if not more and had no problems at all so that is the, the other message is that like there is no one size fits all which I think is why we, these Instagram things are so are like this these yeah. online trends of diets are so dangerous because yeah. someone's saying like oh I've switched to vegan and I only eat chickpeas and I feel great and you're like okay yeah. I'll do that and then you just end up feeling horrendous yeah. all the time yeah. and a lot of people yeah. don't realise that they actually don't associate this, some of the uncomfortable gut symptoms with the dietary changes and often in clinic I would say have you adapted any dietary changes in the last six months or the last year and they go oh yes either you know my boyfriend moved in and we started cooking this way and then you can correlate you know some of the we symptoms. We did an Italian cookery course and we're <laughs> using loads of onions and garlic in our cooking every day because that you know onions and garlic would be a big trigger for, for many people as well and that's something we, we talk about as well. And yeah. again our consumption has increased you know we're putting five cloves of garlic in the spaghetti bolognese <laughs> nice. and actually I was but talking so tiny you don't assume yeah. that yeah. So like you put five in so it's the quantity so I was talking to somebody recently whose mom at an Italian restaurant and she was saying they use onions and you know they tend to use fresh products so fresh uh, pasta, fresh egg pasta is quite well tolerated and she was saying they use small amounts of onion to flavour but I think we've adapted it in Ireland and we've certainly you know increased the amount so like if one is good five must be better <laughs> but that's not always the case if you've got a gut symptom. Taking a break from the show to tell you about our sponsor humdingermortgages.ie your new gaff without the faff. Humdinger are an award-winning mortgage brokerage and they specialise in finding the right mortgage for you. The best part is that you deal with the broker and they deal with every major bank in the Irish market so you don't have to trawl around talking to loads of people. They also make the best recommendation on what's the best way to proceed for you specifically and they stay at your side to help you at every step of the way from application to drawing down your mortgage. They're in the mortgage business right not the application business they have absolutely no interest in putting you through the ringer and getting you to fill out loads of forms without getting a mortgage at the end and they're really honest from the get-go about what the problems might be with your application but then they don't abandon you they will stay by your side and give you the best advice on how to make sure that you are successful the next time you apply they specialise in helping first-time buyers, people looking to trade up and people like me who are looking to save ourselves some money by switching our mortgage for a better rate. And like for me, I'm going to switch my mortgage. I'm working with Humdinger because like a reduction of even 0.5% on my mortgage rate can save me like 30 grand in interest over the whole term of my mortgage. Mortgages are the biggest financial decision you are ever going to make. So take advantage of speaking to experts and go to humdingermortgages.ie to begin your journey. So while I have you, I'm going to take the opportunity to um, take you hostage for a minute and tell you about the merchandise that we are selling. We have notebooks and pens which are branded with the basically branding and you should buy them. You should buy them because it's a lovely notebook. Who doesn't need a notebook? If you are a Headstuff podcast member, if you buy the notebook, you get the pen for free. It supports me. It supports the podcast. It supports the producers, the people who work on the show and means that we can continue to make these podcasts and give them to you for free. 
if you want to become a Headstuff podcast member, if you get a lot from the podcast and you think, God, I'd like to support Stephanie and the podcast, you can become a Headstuff podcast member for five euro plus that. Uh, or you can give more if you want to. Go to headstuffpodcast.com and you can click register there and you pick a podcast. You can pick up to three podcasts. If you pick three podcasts, what happens there is that the five euro that you're giving gets split between the three podcasts that you're supporting. Or you can pick just one podcast. Say you pick my podcast, then you'll get my bonus material for free and all of the bonus material for all of the other podcasts on the network. So it's a really, really good deal. Five euro, all of these special podcasts. So if you want to do that, do it. I'll be very, very grateful. The people who are in the community, the Headstuff podcast members are my favourite people. They support the podcast. They mean that you can listen to this podcast for free. It's five euro a month. I'm going to stop talking now, but I really appreciate your support. Thank you. Oh, and also, if you cannot afford to support the podcast, but you want to support the podcast, you can also give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a good review or share the podcast with two other people. That's it. Just send the podcast to two other people who will listen to it, who you think will benefit from it. That helps to get our listeners up, which helps us get sponsorship. It's all how it works. And uh, yeah, I'd be really grateful if you do that too. Bye. While I have your attention, I want to tell you about another podcast on the network. This one I think you'll really like. It's called Fad Camp, F-A-D, and it's a comedy podcast about diet culture and the ridiculousness of fad diets. In every episode, Grace Mulvey and her co-host Connor Dowling tackle a new aspect of diet culture through, but it's not too serious, through funny and vulnerable personal experiences, interviews and much more. Ever brought a baked potato to a pub to stay on your plan? Or have you ever gotten hypnotic gastric bands to reduce your appetite? Well, the hosts of this show have, and they're going to tell you all about it in Fad Camp. Fad Camp is a comedy podcast about the ridiculousness of fad diets and diet culture, hosted by me, Grace Mulvey. And me, Connor Dowling. If you have a body of any kind, chances are you've crossed paths with at least one of the bizarre diet trends we cover in our show. And between me and Connor, we have done nearly every fad diet there is. Juice cleansing. Fasting. The potato diet. Which is actually a real diet, by the way, and we don't recommend it. So join us as we try to make sense of the madness that is diet culture. Find Fad Camp everywhere you get your podcasts and make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fad Camp Podcast. It's fascinating really that, you know, we have these, I think, well, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but we have these very limited ideas about like what is healthy based on the things that we're reading. I remember um, I have spoken before, I have an eating disorder and at one time I was, I had orthorexia so I was, I cut out basically everything. I cut out wheat, I cut out dairy for years and I ended up having to go and get a bone density scan and they were like, you have osteopenia which yeah. is early osteoporosis. Yeah. This is and you wild. are not alone. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, but I think, but it, because I was losing weight, people were and even doctors were like you're doing great keep going and I was like I'm freezing all the time I haven't had a bowel movement in four days mm. I, my, I my bones are break like I'm yeah. really really unwell mm. but because the optics of it were like oh you're on a weight loss journey congratulations it just seems yeah. like even sometimes in health professions it can be quite like if you don't have the full picture now I obviously wasn't being very forthcoming with the information yeah, about sure, what I was sure, doing sure. Yes, yeah. I mean I think I think Every person is an individual. We are, in general, you know, very boringly 
major proponents of moderation, you know, and, and I we don't like extremes of anything. Um, and, and for most people, extremes aren't necessary. And, a, you know, a balanced diet, whether it be to maintain weight or to control gut symptoms, can be achieved without extreme measures. Um, I was just going to say that, actually, because even you, when we were talking about the vegan diet or any of those diets, it's very possible to not be vegan, not be vegetarian or any of those things and still have a terrible diet. Oh, and like oh, have oh, terrible gut bacteria. I mean, absolutely. I mean, we've you know we do see you know for example even if you take something as simple as fiber, eighty um, percent of people in Ireland don't eat enough fiber. And twenty percent of people eat enough, or probably, or, or too the much. The other eighty percent. So, so you know, um, and some, you know, I know in medicine we we sometimes talk about you know the worried well, who might be taking a lot of positive measures overly so maybe for their health, but you also have the the very the unworried unwell, who yes, are okay. who are not doing Need any of the right things, and 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 you know maybe it isn't impacting them immediately right now, but it obviously will have long term effects on their health. And we are concerned about that element of orthorexia, which is this obsession with sort of clean eating, and it starts off with just health benefits that you actually are going to eliminate sugar, eliminate saturated fats, and just eat more healthily. But very very quickly it can come to kind of a religion with very strict Mm -hmm. rules and what we find with a lot of gut patients is that actually if you listen to your gut the stress of adhering to all of these very very strict rules right is actually causing more gut symptoms and if they go outside the rules at all they're nearly punishing themselves for having had one slice of bread you know Mm -hmm. or even having a bowl of pasta Um, so we're not really we're concerned about that and also we know that it can actually often be masking an underlying eating disorder Yeah, I mean, you know? yeah, exactly. I think that's that is, and it's and it's very difficult for us as healthcare professionals. You know, as you say, you weren't forthcoming, and and you know, if some the whole area of an overlap between you know excessively healthy eating and eating disorders can be very difficult for us to navigate, navigate as well. And people can get you know if you if you try and even broach that subject from you know sideways on, sometimes people can can you know be very upset about that. So. It is on our mind a lot of the time if somebody does seem to have excessively strict eating rules. And I think particularly that when you've got the idea of rules, that that's a real pointer, I think, that what started out as clean, as healthy eating is maybe becoming excessively so. I remember um, once having to see a dietitian in the middle of the eating disorder and having an argument with them because they wanted me to increase. Then I used to weigh and measure all of my food and incre- they were suggesting that I would, I'm not going to give any numbers because other people suffer, but mm. to increase the amount of oats I was eating by 10 grams a day wow. and I lost my reason with her yeah. like 10 yeah. grams of oats like yeah, and yeah. I, I mean and obviously you know the mm. whole connection between the, the brain and the gut is a very complex one as well and the whole psychology of eating as well you know that it's a it's a it's a vast area and far bigger than you know we would have time to, to talk about today but I mean Stress and anxiety has a big, you know, effect on our gut health. Yeah, I was going to ask yeah. about that because I sort of roll my eyes sometimes. I'm, I'm not a very, I'm not very compassionate with myself. And when people say I need to relax and I need to be less stressed, I'm like, oh, for God's sake, I'm not <laughs> going to get anything done. Um, so when people say that stress has an impact on gut mm. or on or, or on your yeah, on your digestion, you know, where you're like, oh, you're not digesting because you're stressed. I'm like, mm. oh, that's not possible. Mm. But am I wrong? Oh no, well, I mean, I think. St- 
yeah, if you, okay. if you, if you, if, you, if that's, <laughs> that's what you think, yeah, you're, you're wrong. wrong, you're wrong. Um, no, I mean, like, you know, you think of it, if you're going to do a presentation or something, the butterflies you get in the in your tummy or the need to dash to the loo, that is the effect of, you know, the nervous, like, you know, the thoughts that are in your head going through, you know, through down through vagus nerve uh, to our gut and affecting our gut activity. So definitely has an effect. And similarly, lack of sleep affects, our, you know, how our gut functions and um, low mood does as well. But equally, and as we said earlier, when you were asking about the effect of probiotics, what's going on in your gut also affects your mental health as well. So, so it's like a cycle. It is a, it is a cycle and, you know, you need to kind of look after one to look after the other. And it's, you know, we do not think, there, we're not saying there are simple solutions to every problem. And look, we life is stressful and people have anxieties. They have, you know, low mood and all of these things have an impact. And again, this is where one size doesn't fit all. You know, for some people, yoga might be what they need to to help them relax. I personally did a particular, I mean, I think yoga is great, but I did a particular kind of yoga or maybe 15 years ago and I just did one class and I found it incredibly stressful because all we did was breathe and I thought I was going to do a bit of stretching and exercise, you know, and for me, that wasn't the answer for me. But for another person that might be, but similarly mindfulness might work very well for some people. Some people, if they're, you know, they may need to be on medication and see a a healthcare professional specialising in that area. Some people might need CBT to help them deal with their stress and anxiety. So if if you can identify that you are stressed or that stress and anxiety seems to link with your gut symptoms, I think it is really important to explore that with the right person. Again, GP might be the first port of call who could direct you in the right way. Yeah. And is there, I would say, sorry to cut across you there, with stress, for people not to remember that even just small, simple steps every day Mm. can really impact the gut health. So whether it's a gratitude list, whether it's five minutes of mindfulness, very small changes, if you make them consistent, like first thing in the morning or last thing at my night can really help impact the gut and whether that's gentle exercise gentle yoga you know um, some deep breathing or some meditation they're all really really helpful I personally do meditation and it was about 10 years ago I started that when I realised the gut brain connection because I was doing a week long meditation course and I was actually doing my Christmas list in July my head was that wired (laughs) at the time right so there I was learning how to do meditation but anyway I did now I do normally during COVID I did it remotely but I tried to do a one week retreat a year and several weekends and that has worked for me I actually meditate to sound and sometimes to breath but everybody can find something simple but I would say you know start with something small and try to make it consistent and it can have a big impact on your gut health what, whichever method you choose and your overall health yeah so in the book then uh, are there recipes are there or is it more about like symptoms how is it yeah. so really with the book we really wanted to educate women first so really we've fabulous section in the beginning which uh, which shows you how which tells you all about how your gut works your hormones work your hormones during your menstrual cycle when you're if you're pregnant after birth premenopause and menopausal and we've lots of explanations all around this and we wanted to educate women and empower them to know more about their We also talk about the gut bacteria, your gut brain axis, if you've got gut symptoms, how you might, you know, what might be likely causes of them and how to how, you know, things should be diagnosed. And we're not being prescriptive, but I think our first step would always be, say, if you've got symptoms, talk to your GP, but just to give people an idea. Because many people, one of the things with, say, something like irritable bowel, which is very common, when you have tests done, they're normal. 
nothing shows up on tests abnormally. So this can be very frustrating for somebody because they're having a lot of symptoms, yet they go to their blood test, they have a stool test, they might even be sent for scopes and they're all normal. And they keep coming against this thing saying, look, it, you you know, this is normal. But so, so it's to help people navigate that and say, look, yes, these tests will be normal, but that does not mean that nothing is wrong. wrong. Okay. You have a condition, but the tests is, are expected to be normal. But we also need to check that you don't have things like celiac. So it's all that in the first part of the book. Then mm. we have a dietary section. Yes, yeah, so then then we move on to a whole dietary section and our dietary plan is called the flat gut diet plan and what that is it's actually dietary and lifestyle factors that we look at. And can I just and say it's not flat as in weight. N- weight, <laughs> it's flat as in no bloating. Yeah. Okay. This, isn't a, this isn't a weight, weight loss, this is a weight neutral diet. This yeah. is okay. just about trying to control gut yeah. symptoms. And Great. I think flat, the reason why we're thinking flat is basically we want it to be sort of unremarkable that your tummy isn't bothering you, you know, yeah. that yes. it's causing you no discomfort really but it's actually weight neutral it's nothing to do with weight and actually it's a dietary and lifestyle plan and it includes a unique point based system which helps you navigate your own dietary triggers it's inclusive of all dietary components including wheat and dairy and it's very much about your tolerance and we've designed a very unique point based system Just want to tell her what flat stands for Yeah, Yeah. I'm going to come back to that now in a minute but we've designed a unique point based system to help you do that it is a go to guide so we do have shopping lists we've got lots of recipes recipes in it which are gut friendly and we also have um, a meal plan and we've got tips uh, to help you to keep you on track the whole way throughout and we also have a dietary and lifestyle um, um, plan to follow at the end a diary Mm -hmm. Um, but what actually flat is it's for the main um, food and lifestyle triggers uh, that cause gut problems like bloating and wind and abdominal pain and what they are is the FLAT it's really easy to remember so the F is for three F's which is fibre um, F, the second F is for fructose which is a fruit sugar and the third one is for fructans which is found in wheat and what we know with fibre is that people are either taking too little as Barbara said 80% of our people in Ireland don't eat too much but some of our patients are taking too much so they're taking double the amount of fibre so it's very much like Goldilocks mm-hmm. it's about finding just the right amount for, for your you. gut mm-hmm. and then the second one which I mentioned was fructose and as we mentioned the case study in the book some people are taking taking too much so it's about finding the amount for them and fructose is the sugar primarily found in fruit and the other one in fructans is wheat and as I mentioned with the wheat again it's about the amount that you take rather than eliminating wheat from the diet L is for lactose which is the sugar found in dairy and most people can tolerate a certain amount of dairy products everybody can really tolerate cheese unless you have a dairy protein allergy and then with yogurts and milks it's about the quantity so if you eat a 500 gram pot of yogurt you know with a whole bowl of fruit with all the fructose and lactose together you're definitely going to have a tummy bloat and that's quite easy to do because you know the big pots yes, of yoghurt yeah, yeah. so you really only need to take about a fifth of one of those in a, in a serving and then A is for alliums and that's the onion and garlic family and as we mentioned they're particularly potent triggers for gut symptoms and then the T in flat is for the total mind and body health Great and you know when you said there that, that you, there was um, gut friendly a gut friendly food recipes are there just before we finish like foods that are like always gut unfriendly like this is going to cause an issue for everyone or is that not? I mean I think there are foods that are some people seem to have you know systems made of steel and they seem to be able to eat anything and have Mm -hmm. no gut symptoms I think overly processed foods and foods that are very high in saturated fats that would be like very high in animal fats um, if you eat those on a consistent basis 
that has been shown to not be good for your gut bacteria. But that may cause some people no symptoms. Right, okay. So I think, you know, we all know, really being honest, we all know that we shouldn't be eating takeaways all the time Mm -hmm. and that we should eat some fruit and vegetables. That's pretty much common sense, what our mothers and our grandmothers told us, you know. How do you feel Um, about polyols? You know, the sort mm. of mm. fake sugars that are in yeah. protein bars. Yeah, so definitely they destroy the, uh, my stomach. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah so they, they're only about 5% absorbed in the gut. So they're pr- particularly problematic and they cause a lot of bloating and wind and if taken in large amounts, they can cause diarrhoea. And they are found in sorbitol, they're found in xylitol and they're also found in stone fruits if you take a large quantity of them. So I think it's because they're so poorly absorbed in the gut that they mm-hmm. cause a lot of symptoms, particularly in those that have a more sensitive gut, you know, or, the mm. gut, or you're very stressed on a particular day and you take a lot of them, you're likely more likely to get symptoms. But our plan is based on a Mediterranean style, style diet, which is really optimum to give you that diverse bacteria. So it's very much about eating the rainbow, eating lots of colour and lots of variety. And that's what provides a more diverse gut bacteria. And certainly eating, as Barbara said, less processed, less saturated food and then ex- exercising more and obviously getting your, your sleep and looking after your mental health. That's what confers the best benefits to the gut bacteria and that's be- very beneficial for gut health and our overall health. Could I could I just make what, Elaine mentioned the T is for total um, overall gut and, and body health and we have again an, a little acronym there we call it our TEAMS acronym um, and T is for total gut and body health E is for exercise we all know like this is this is not rocket science we know yes. we should be doing this But a- information and knowledge are not the same thing otherwise nobody would ever smoke you know <laughs> it's true. So it just it's takes true. a while for people to um, Yeah So E is for exercise A is for alcohol because again you know if you're doing if you're, you're looking after your diet and you're you know eating healthily and eating a varied diet and not overdoing it if you're then you know at weekends really overdoing it on alcohol or eat drinking too much alcohol on a regular basis that is not good for it's not good for your overall health but it's also not good for your for your your gut health it's I sometimes for forget li- about alcohol because yeah. I don't drink what's the situation there like is yeah. it just based on the RDA that yeah, HSC I mean, recommends or do you have different no no we don't have different one right. I mean the safe drinking guidelines in Ireland would be 11 standard drinks for women and 14 for I think 17 14 17, 17 for, for, men. for men thank you um, and that that works out about 110 grams of alcohol per week that is the maximum you know yeah. you don't have to reach that obviously and in general for for one's health the less you drink the better um, and women we've smaller livers than men we were made up of more water so that when um, we've more fat men have more water so actually when we drink the same amount as men it's much more concentrated in our bloodstream as well so we are not designed to drink as much which is obviously why the safe drinking guidelines are less but in general the less you drink the better um, and M is for mental health if, of the teams and then S is for sleep and all of those things play play an important role If people want to find out more do you guys have a social media presence give us the name of the book again and so it's what every woman needs to know about her gut Is it out already? Oh yes Yes, yes. indeed <laughs> Yeah um, In Ireland, UK and it's going to be coming out in the US in, in August Oh cool um, Congratulations Thank you And they can get more information I'm going to hand over to Barbara Oh yes so our handles are we're at the gut experts on Instagram and Facebook and we're at thegutexperts.com We have a really good I think website um, for women with a lot of it's, from, it's, it's, it's also applicable to men but we have focus particularly on women because of the whole hormonal piece and because IBS is so much more common. But we've a lot of information, um, blog section, we update regularly, a whole dietary section, a lot of information about all these common conditions as well. And we really hope that people might find it helpful. 
Great, that's at the Gut Experts and we'll also put link that in the show notes and we'll put the name of the book there so that you guys know where to find it. Thank you so much to you both for joining me. Thank, thank you, you very much, Steph. It's been a pleasure. Thank you're you. very welcome. Uh, and you have listened to another episode of Basically. Thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahalo Gower. We are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network and we were produced today by Julie Hassett. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.